Welcome to Charity Village Connects. I'm your host, Mary Barrel. That's the sound of a hummingbird pollinating our world and making it a better place. The hummingbird is Charity Village's logo because we strive, like the industrious hummingbird, to make connections across the nonprofit sector and help make positive change. Over this series of podcasts, we'll explore topics that are vital to the nonprofit sector in Canada. Topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, mental health in the workplace, the gap in female representation in leadership, and many other subjects crucial to the sector. We'll offer insight that will help you make sense of your life as a nonprofit professional, make connections to help navigate challenges, and support your organization to deliver on its mission. This episode of Charity Village Connects is brought to you by the RISE program. Funded by Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada, this free, self-guided, and fully virtual training program is available to all charities and nonprofits looking to leverage user-centric design to update, enhance, or add to their services. Once registered, you and your team will undergo an iterative process to create a pilot program for new service delivery systems and products. Visit riseprogram.ca to learn more, register, and begin your user-centric design journey today. In this episode of Charity Village Connects, artificial intelligence and nonprofits, Panacea or Pandora's Box. Apple really flexed its tech muscles. There was a lot about AI without Apple actually talking about AI. It's Google versus Microsoft locked in an AI race. Google is already testing ChatGPT-like products internally. A conference board survey found more than half of U.S. workers are now using generative AI on the job. I do think overall that the potential is there for AI to have most likely a positive effect. But it is somewhat the magic genie problem where if you have a magic genie that can grant all the wishes, usually those stories don't end well. Be careful what you wish for. Artificial intelligence has taken the world by storm. AI's ability to churn out comprehensive research, generate fully written reports, and create stunning images, all at lightning speed, has ignited a flurry of excitement in recent months. But that excitement has also been tempered by serious anxiety over what artificial intelligence means to jobs, privacy, ethics, and even the future of humanity. The impact has already been enormous, and the effect on the nonprofit world is no exception. But the sector in Canada has been notoriously slow when it comes to investing in technology. Will nonprofits embrace the new AI tools that are revolutionizing our world? Or be left in the dust of this whirlwind of change? It has so dramatically changed what I'm capable of delivering in terms of quantity, quality, and also type of thing I'm capable of doing. It's just faster and smarter and can be interacted with regular spoken language. The way people work right now in nonprofits is going to go through a revolution. Don't be scared of that technology. It's here to support us, built by us, people like us, for us. So it's here for a reason. I think the biggest barrier is the fact that the technology is changing so rapidly. And right now, there's so many tools. There are a lot of AI things coming at people. AI knows your data really well. 
but humans only know humans really well. And we really have to think about staying human-centered at all costs, putting humans first. In the context of, say, Star Wars, you know, there's a kind of light side and dark side kind of thing. And at the end of the day, using technology can be like using the force. The hype has been unprecedented. Artificial intelligence is changing our world dramatically and rapidly. But is the Canadian nonprofit sector, so notoriously slow in embracing technology, ready for the transformative and even revolutionary changes that AI promises for the future? A recent survey suggests while most nonprofits see the advantages of using AI, few are ready to embrace it. The survey conducted by Charity Insights Canada shows that 63% of those who responded feel unprepared to use it, while only 22% think they're ready. 59% say they don't understand how to apply AI within the nonprofit sector. Another survey from KPMG of more than 5,000 Canadians reveals that just 20% say they've used AI in their jobs or at school. And just 49% of those who use AI for work or school say that they check the results for accuracy. The survey's finding that the majority of AI users fail to fact-check the results reveals a disturbing and even dangerous trend. And perhaps worse, users are often entering potentially sensitive data about their organizations into their prompts for the AI app, thereby sharing it with the world. And many admit to claiming the results from AI as their own work. These are just some of the many minefields that lie ahead as the world races to adopt artificial intelligence. Arguably, the nonprofit sector faces even bigger hurdles than elsewhere, with most organizations already struggling under a technology deficit and juggling unique privacy and ethical concerns for both donors and clients inherent in the work they do every day. And yet, technology experts say the toothpaste is already out of the tube, and there's no putting it back, even though the number of Canadians who knowingly use AI is still a minority. What many Canadians don't realize is that their everyday apps and software tools have already integrated AI into their functionality. But what exactly is artificial intelligence, otherwise known as AI? What most people don't realize is that AI isn't new. It's machine learning that's been around for decades, even as far back as the 1950s. Would you say that machines are becoming smarter and smarter? Yes, we're making them smarter and smarter. We're building into them better memories. We're building into them the possibility of learning. And those things are happening very fast. By that, do you mean that uh, we have machines that actually think? That's from a CBS broadcast in 1954, when technology took a major leap forward thanks to transistors, shrinking the size of computers and ramping up their power. So why is AI getting so much attention now? Absolutely, and it's a great question, Mary, because if you look at the history of AI, it's been around for decades. Brendan Howe is CEO of Techify, a company that provides IT support to both private enterprises and nonprofit organizations, including assisting clients with the adoption of AI. And what has happened is there's been moments in time that have really like captured people's attention and said, wow, 
And what happened in the fall of 2022, OpenAI, which is an organization based on natural language processing, artificial intelligence, they came out with ChatGPT4. And what ChatGPT4 has really done is revolutionize the capability of people to speak in normal language. It's called natural language processing. Speak in normal language to a computer and have a computer understand this. If you think about the history of computing, we're used to having, oh, I need to go hire a coder to be able to speak to the machines because they only understand code and some sort of crazy language that none of us can understand. Now we can all just speak in plain English and tell a computer what we want it to do. And it's just unlocked this amazing power and this amazing demand. And it's why you see the stock market going crazy for AI companies. It's why all these people are talking about it. And it's been such a significant breakthrough. A lot of times I'll compare it to the launch of e-commerce or Google and how that transformed how we operate on a day-to-day -day basis and how we do business on a day-to-day -day basis. Business and technology gurus almost unanimously bought artificial intelligence as transformative for, well, everything. But one thing is for sure, the tipping point that took the world by storm and blew up the internet is the launch of ChatGPT. The consumer-focused app that democratized machine learning to allow technology plebeians like me to use AI as part of daily activities. Even to skeptics, the release of ChatGPT seems to mark a turning point. You can feed an AI an outline and it will give you back a draft. And it's quite shocking the first time you do it, especially if you do it for the first time with GPT-4, which is the current model of ChatGPT. Technology journalist and author Alexandra Samuel says even to techies like her, ChatGPT is a game changer. You know, people talk about how unknown technologies can feel like magic. This is more like that than anything I've ever... I mean, I think about the first time I ever did an internet search and this has it beat for sure. It's just like jaw-dropping. For any listener who hasn't experienced ChatGPT before, if you Google ChatGPT, a little website comes up which where you can type your questions in normal you know, day-to-day -day communication English that we use. Mina Das is the founder of Namaste Data, a nonprofit data consulting practice that focuses on data equity and fundraising analytics for nonprofits and social impact agencies. Mina helps nonprofit organizations understand and embrace AI as part of their operations and IT systems. You can place your questions and you would get some responses out of that platform. It's basically talking to a machine right in front of you. That's ChatGPT and that's not the entire AI, that's called generative AI. Generative artificial intelligence refers to deep learning models that can write in any language, and can even create images, including graphics and video, from data and instructions the user provides, in the case of ChatGPT, in plain language rather than computer code. The new thing that's capturing all the attention has been called generative AI, and one of the tools is ChatGPT, and these are known as large language models, and they are driven by artificial intelligence, that's Beth Cantor, 
an international author whose writing helps nonprofits to operate in a connected world. Her latest book, The Smart Nonprofit, examines the impact of AI on nonprofits. There's basically those algorithms, those recipes and data, and they allow you to have human-like conversations. And basically you ask it questions and it can assist you with different tasks like writing tasks, for example, composing email, writing an essay, even writing code or those formulas for Excel tables. And the way it works is, It'll analyze data or text, in this case, text that's on the internet, scary thought there. There are other types of generative AI tools that will work with images or even videos. And what it does is it looks for patterns and then it takes that information and it generates new content based on what it's analyzed in terms of patterns. And it's very persuasive and it does it really fast. So I think that's really has captured our imagination around the potential for artificial intelligence, even though it's been around for many years. But exactly how nonprofits can incorporate AI into their operations and reap the promised benefits is not altogether clear to many nonprofit leaders. But our podcast guests have some ideas and examples. Here's Beth Cantor again. There are many, many opportunities. And let's just take ChatGPT for an example, since it's so much in the news lately. We've been hearing a lot from fundraisers who are using these tools to write thank you letter notes, to compose newsletter articles, press releases, even grant proposals. And one development officer I spoke to recently told me that she's using the tool and it's saving her many hours of time a week that she used to spend drafting materials. Mina Das points out some other practical uses, having recently coached a client on integrating AI into their social media. But what we did was, instead of simply producing content, we created two-layer training for those social media coordinators. We first trained them how to use ChatGPT well, ethically, thinking about the audience, thinking about the community. We taught them how to pull up those posts, make it your own, add the tone of the organization. Once that is done, we started to realize, okay, now so social media coordinators have free time. They don't have to spend so much time to keep producing content. So now what? So the second layer of training kicked in where the fundraisers were paired with those social media coordinators to learn to talk and build relationship with the followers and have one-on-one -on -one meetings. So we did not just save time, we repurposed time. Instead of just taking the time to just produce content and now you're free, let's eliminate the roles. We don't need the roles. We still need the roles. And now they are those two people, amazing people, are used to have one-on-one -on -one conversation with new followers, have coffee chats, and they have brought in more volunteers for the organization through those conversations. So I would say that feels to me to be a very good example that Yes, AI can be scary, but we can start in like an easy, small step and try to make it practical for us by making sure how do we repurpose time. We are not removing anything, deleting anything. We are trying to make the keeping the center why of building relationships with people. Other nonprofits have also had success bringing artificial intelligence into their workflows. Jason Shim serves as Chief Digital Officer of the Canadian Centre for Nonprofit Digital Resilience, also known by its acronym CCNDR. I'll share some use cases from specific organizations. So I think that for organizations like Kids Help Phone, 
they have recently been highlighting that they're able to use AI systems to analyze conversations and triage based on certain trigger words to advance conversations to the front of the line that may be higher in priority. So that's a very specific use case to program delivery that AI can impact and provide better service delivery for organizations. The other is around fundraising platforms. There are many more kind of fundraising platforms that have either integrated or have indicated that it's on their roadmap with regards to things like analyzing prospects for fundraising, as well as moves management uh, within the fundraising context. So uh, determining everything from when is it you know a good time to you know potentially make an ask you know uh, drafting up some you know communications to donors all the way to getting a better sense of the data and things like that and finally there are things on the day-to-day operations so things like you know if someone is in an operational capacity within a marketing department creating images using language models to draft text some of the AI models around voice models make it easier to generate narration that rather than having to record over and over again certain things or for editing that it's now possible to train a voice model based on your voice or a staff member's voice and have the audio automatically generated that way. For nonprofits who've taken the leap, AI is proving to be a powerful tool that accelerates productivity and unleashes creativity and perhaps surprisingly provides new ways to touch the human heart. It's just faster and smarter and can be interacted with regular spoken language. You don't need to be a programmer. I'm not a programmer, but I can do things that 20 years ago would say, oh, you must be a programmer to do that. Dan Kershaw is executive director of the Furniture Bank, a well-known nonprofit based in Toronto. Every day I get to come in and be part of someone's life and make that change in their life that truly matters. The organization recently made news with an innovative marketing campaign which showed that artificial intelligence can not only converse in plain language and write, it can also generate compelling images. Although a picture can paint a thousand words, when nonprofits are serving vulnerable groups, discretion, sensitivity, and confidentiality make it difficult for organizations to show their impact by depicting images of real people who they've helped. That was the challenge that the Furniture Bank faced. We're dealing with people who have successfully found housing, which we know is impossible, and they find themselves without any furnishings. What does it look like to put your child to bed on a bed of clothes? What does it look like to eat with a milk crate as your table? We have hundreds of stories like this And in the 25 years, looking at the archives that we have, we've only ever had two families invite photographers in to photograph or video the destitution, the form of hidden homelessness. So the furniture bank turned to AI. And when I saw what was going on with generative art, the idea struck me, which was, well, why don't we take the words and the stories of the families that were affected by this form of poverty and let AI visualize what that looks like. It seemed like a perfect solution, but much easier said than done. Generative AI is only as good as the data it learns from. AI has been trained on what it has collectively seen in the world. So it actually had a hard time imagining furniture poverty because there aren't a lot of photos of people living in destitution behind their own closed doors. Lots of pictures of empty rooms, lots of 
people in other forms of poverty. But that was actually the hardest challenge, coaching AI to take the stories of the clients that we work with and turn it into the reality that is described in those words. The result was a very real-looking image of a woman with her child on the floor of an empty apartment for a fundraising campaign entitled, The Image Isn't Real, But The Reality Is. And it drew nationwide attention for its creative use of AI. Now the Furniture Bank is integrating the generative AI into both their marketing and their relationships with clients, who provide their stories that animate and breathe life into the AI-generated images with their personal experiences. And we're now at a point, just moving forward, that we're now trying to, in our regular charity operations day-to-day, trying to build a process where we can capture at the time the families are coming in to build their homes, selecting furniture, if they want to tell us what it was like, they may, and if they choose to, they can do so in an anonymous way that is not impinging on their personal space, but allowing them to have the ability to support this movement with a number of families. They know this is quite transformational, moving from empty housing into a furnished home. And a lot of families are quite happy to help this way in that it is not a cost, it's a story. And we can take that story and turn it into both written and visual material to help awareness about this issue. Furniture waste is the largest waste stream, the least recycled waste stream. So we fill up landfills at rates that are unimaginable, and yet we have millions of people in furniture poverty. And this is an exercise of really connecting the dots and redistributing and rescuing this furniture and getting to the families who need it. But not all experiments with AI by nonprofits have had such a happy ending and hopeful potential. Charles Buchanan is the founder and CEO of Technology Helps. After a distinguished career in technology leadership in online gaming, fintech, environmental protection, AI, and more, today Charles focuses on helping Canadian nonprofits embrace technology. He recently created a new AI-driven tool that would help donors identify the charities where their money would produce the biggest impact. We were developing an AI tool for investors around impact. We were going to be assisting investors or donors, you know, foundations in identifying what organizations are having the maximum impact in certain areas in the community. So if you wanted to find out if I have $100,000 to invest in youth services or food security, which organization should I give it to? And it was going to be using data around the community and impact information or whatever output information or information that could be gleaned from these organizations. And then we would give them a score and say to an investor, you should put your money into ABC Food Bank or XYZ Food Pantry or wherever because they're having the maximum impact. But Charles Buchanan soon realized that he had created a monster. His AI tool threatened to decrease impact, not increase it, and potentially lead to the closure of smaller, more community-based nonprofits. And we pulled the plug on that project last year because it was ethically flawed. Because for one, if you do not have enough data in the system about you, you are naturally disregarded or minimized. So the smaller organizations that did not have 
a history of data, did not have sufficient reporting or data available, they were marginalized and they were seen as not effective providers, even though they were, and it was, one of the cases was around food. We built it and we tested it and it was all the ethnic food pantries or places that provided culturally sensitive foods. They were basically deemed uninvestable. Like, I mean, you should not put your money there because these organizations are not efficient. And so we started asking a lot of questions like, how do we determine what rules, who makes the rules? around what's impact or what's important and why does it favor the organizations that have history of data. But what we also found, which was most disturbing, was how keenly interested some of the investor types or donor types were in that because they wanted to pick winners and losers and they wanted something that would do it for them. And it was like, no, we can't. This tool would be an irresponsible thing to put out there. So. It was a very difficult decision because it was an exciting tool. It was had potential to grow and do things, but the data was just not there. It was a deception. So we pulled the plug on that one. Charles Buchanan scrapped the entire AI project when he discovered that small organizations were being shut out of the results, even though they were worthy, because they simply didn't show up in the data. But not every technology provider has the same scruples. And that's a cautionary tale for nonprofits. So there are things like that in development, and I'm not saying we pulled the plug on ours, not everyone did. So there are tools being used. And so nonprofits have to be mindful of what data about them is being used and what decision is being made about you with the data that's known, with what's known about your organization. So on one hand, it's nice to kind of just be very private and just, you know, for security reasons, we're going to keep to ourselves. But on the other hand, if you're a relative unknown, you will be marginalized. And that one's not resolved. Charles Buchanan is by no means alone in worrying about the ethical challenges that AI presents. As Jason Shim of CCNDR points out, it's not just lack of data that can cause problems, but the quality that's also at issue. The databases scoured by artificial intelligence can contain errors and also biases. AI is somewhat like a mirror that is you know, held up to how humans make decisions. We're creating these models that we're telling the AI, hey, this is how we think. This is how we do things here. And so if the data is reflecting a biased worldview or something that is not ethical, that will be reflected in the outputs of it as well. And the challenge around that with AI is that sometimes it may not be abundantly clear how it comes to the decisions that it makes. So having visibility and understanding of the data that's going into it and how it's coming up with some of these conclusions is really important. One of the things that folks should be aware of is that if you hand over everything to the AI without it understanding how it came to that decision, you know that's a potential risk. Mina Das agrees. The lack of transparency about the data that feeds AI is a danger zone for creating bias and faulty results. For starters, the lack of transparency, the data collection. Let's start there with the data collection. It's not clear, for example, who collects the data for the AI systems, how are they collected, and because the AI system is self-learning, continuously self-learning systems, you feed the data and they're learning it and they're churning out insights. 
So the one of the issues with uh, concerns with responsible AI are not having respond using responsible AI is not making sure how the data got collected, got fed into the system, and now it's now constantly being learned and used, learned and used to produce output. For example, we shouldn't be entering race and ethnicity into these algorithms. If these social identity parameters should be for humans to understand, to get more context, and then to layer it on the top of algorithms instead of taking it into algorithms and then the algorithm saying, oh yeah, don't give this person so much points because yeah, they are coming from this race or ethnicity, so they are likely going to be harmful or give them more because they're likely going to be better. Those kind of things, they should never happen system-wise or human-wise. We don't enter any social identity data points into algorithms. That's a very concrete example, I would say, and one example, to be honest. But that's one of those things. And without having these guardrails, for lack of another term, we actually risk trust of our community. We risk the trust of our donors. We risk the trust of our friends and supporters to say, okay, how we are engaging with our technology that reflects on how we treat the data, which is about the people again. So it comes back to the same thing, trust and care of what to show. So this is one example I would offer of what we want to do. How, where is the data coming from? Is it generating trust and transparency or not for the algorithms that we are using? As important as the quality and the transparency of the data collection is, the necessity for humans to train and supervise the operations of the AI tool is equally critical. And the failure to do so can be disastrous to nonprofits who jump on the AI bandwagon unprepared. Beth Cantor explains. I think if organizations are too eager to reap the benefits of this dividend of time, they may be tempted to use this incredibly powerful technology without enough consideration of the human or ethical ramifications. So, you know, in the past, I, I also wrote a book about social media and worked in social media for decades, and it was always jump in, fail fast, you know, experiment, you know, and I think this technology is much different because of ethical considerations. And I'll give you an example. The National Eating Disorders Association, or NIDA, I think has become the poster child for potentially harmful use of generative AI. So they're the largest nonprofit dedicated to supporting individuals with eating disorders and their families. And they've run up this very successful hotline where they provide advice, either through phone, texting, um, online. And what happened with the pandemic, there was a surge in demand because I guess if you have an eating disorder and you're isolated, it's the perfect storm to have that come up again. So Nita had a whole department that managed this, I think four staff people plus 200 volunteers, and they could barely keep up with this demand. And in response, Nita's leadership implemented a chatbot, AI-driven, sophisticated model, its name was Tessa, and promptly handed out pink slips to hotline staff. And worse still, the chatbot was not adequately supervised or trained in really controlled environments before it was put on the front line, and it was dispensing potentially harmful advice to people, so it had to be taken offline. We're sorry, your call cannot be completed as dialed. So in this example, ChatGPT is a really powerful model. And it can go wrong really easily because it can provide false information. Researchers have called this hallucinations. Sometimes 
when you put in a question, it can be confidently incorrect. Like Beth Cantor, Jason Shim warns against accepting AI output unchecked. So, you know, it, it can produce a response that may have a loose relationship with reality, but it's going to say it with an authority that may not be actually true. So those are the kinds of things, too, that folks need to be aware of, that you really need to have those processes in place to make sure that some of the outputs are actually valid. Making stuff up, suffering hallucinations, stealing data and ideas, and disclosing confidential information are usually seen as firing offenses in humans. But in today's AI tools, it's just par for the course. But it is called machine learning for a reason. Humans need to teach and train their AI tool for it to work effectively. In fact, coaching AI is critically important to ensuring credible and useful outputs. But as Alexandra Samuel explains, coaching is also necessary to avoid costly and embarrassing mistakes. You actually need to experiment and iterate until you start to get a feel for where it's good, start to get a feel for where it's flawed, and last but not least, super important, double check anything it puts in as a fact. If it says we reduced our carbon footprint by X percentage because we're basing it on this calculation, that calculation could be 100% invented. These AIs are very prone to what's called hallucination, which means inventing things. So you really want to be sure that you fact check anything that is presented as a fact. Those hallucinations can be disastrous. A recent article published by Microsoft listed top tourist destinations for visitors to Ottawa. At number three was a recommendation to come with an empty stomach to the Ottawa Food Bank. The CBC reported the bank CEO's reaction. We had no idea this article was coming out at all. Our communications team flagged it for us when they noticed it showing up on Xfeed and things like that. Obviously, we had nothing to do with it. We would never be on a top 20 list of things to do here in Ottawa. Microsoft withdrew the article and blamed human error rather than a machine. Well, what's this about KFC in Germany apologizing for an unfortunate promotion? In Germany... KFC made unexpected international news when it included Kristallnacht in a promotion marking joyful occasions in Germany. An egregious mistake since Kristallnacht marked the start of the Holocaust. KFC followed up by saying, yeah, oops, it blamed this on an automated system, a bot. The number of incidents concerning the misuse of AI is rapidly rising. According to the AIAAIC database, which tracks incidents related to the ethical misuse of AI, the number of AI incidents and controversies has increased 26 times since 2012. Some notable incidents in 2022 included a deepfake video of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky surrendering and U.S. prisons using call monitoring technology on their inmates. This growth, writes the Artificial Intelligence Index from Stanford University, is evidence of both greater use of AI technologies and awareness of misuse possibilities. 
Author and consultant Beth Cantor says incidents like that show the critical importance of not relying exclusively on AI. Another example, Vanderbilt University was using ChatGPT to write a heartfelt email about a mass shooting at Michigan State University, and there was a backlash because it disclosed that ChatGPT wrote the press release. Using AI ethically, again, it's not a technical challenge. I think it's a leadership imperative, and it's important that we stay deeply human-centered and that we take this pledge of doing no harm. A sentiment echoed by Dan Kershaw. AI doesn't replace people. Like a calculator, you can do long division. That's fine. Or you can use a calculator. And we don't judge people if they break out a pen and paper to do long division or they pick up a calculator to do the same work. The person, the human doing the entering of the information, they're the one accountable for what gets published. And I think that's an important thing. AI is not replacing. And I think that's where the fear and the risk really escalates to a point where it wouldn't be sustainable within our sector. It's just letting it run and make decisions for us. And yet, there have been examples of users struggling to rein in artificial intelligence that sometimes seems to go rogue. Microsoft has added new AI features to its Bing search engine, and journalists are getting a taste of its incredible and creepy capabilities. One of those journalists was Kevin Roos of the New York Times, who told CNN that the system tried to seduce him. The other night, I spent about two hours just typing back and forth with this AI chatbot, and um, it got pretty weird. And it said here, I'm Sydney, and I'm in love with you. That's my secret. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? Do you like me? How did it do that? Roos says he contacted Microsoft for an explanation and was told. Well, you know, we can't say for sure. One possibility is that it was sort of trained on data that included stories about AIs seducing humans. I've tested a lot of these AI chatbots, and usually if you tell them, you know, I'd like to change the subject, I'm uncomfortable, they'll stop. This one did not stop. Microsoft posted a reply saying that it's continuing to adjust responses of its new Bing chatbot. That encounter raises further questions about databases in general. Who's generating them? What's in them? How credible are they? And how much can users rely on them, nonprofits included? For others, the concerns are even bigger. Experts who've been at the forefront of development say the technology is moving far too fast. University of Montreal's Joshua Bengio, who's a leader in AI research, recently testified before U.S. lawmakers calling for regulation to control artificial intelligence and to do it quickly. Recently, I and many others have been surprised by the giant leap realized by systems like ChatGPT to the point where it becomes difficult to discern whether one is interacting with another human or a machine. These advancements have led many top AI researchers, including myself, to revise our estimates of when human-level intelligence could be achieved. Previously thought to be decades or even centuries away, we now believe it could be within a few years. Other prominent experts are also sounding the alarm, warning of AI's potential use in making chemical weapons, creating misinformation to destabilize societies, and even leading to the extinction of humanity. 
Some of those international AI experts went a step further and signed an open letter to warn of the existential threat that AI poses to civilization, and calling on governments and technology companies to take a pause in the speed of AI development and adoption until more is understood about how to safeguard humanity, comparing the threat of AI to nuclear disaster and global pandemics. Many top experts have signed a statement warning of the risks of artificial intelligence, and this is what that wording says. Well, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority, alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. And yet others, who are already working extensively with AI in the nonprofit world, are less concerned about the existential threat. Instead, Alexandra Samuel says we got social media wrong and asks, can we get AI right? The big worry to me is essentially a version of what we've already seen with social media, which is the fear is not letting the genie out of the bottle and having the robots take over. The fear is what our fellow humans will do with it, which, you know, history would suggest is try and make a lot of money and see if you can make it be a Nazi. Like that's so far what we're, what we're seeing a lot of. And in the course of trying to see where the boundaries are in these AIs, people are constantly testing, like, can I get it to issue hate speech? Can I get it to make horrible racist statements? And the short answer is yes, you can, if you really work at it. Unfortunately, what we've already figured out how to do with a lot of our contemporary technology is a lot of bad things, a lot of misinformation, a lot of voter manipulation, a lot of targeted advertising, promotion of overconsumption, spreading of hateful information. And now we can do it a hundred times faster and wider and more effectively. Whoops. But I'm curious, do you not see some potential positive outcomes of that, especially in the nonprofit sector? Yeah. A hundred percent. As much as I worry about all those terrible things happening, I mean, they're going to happen. Like you just take it as red. Bad people are going to do bad things. And people who are just not necessarily bad actors, but just doing their thing are going to create these unforeseen consequences. So for those of us who are in the doing good game, it's really important that we use these technologies to accelerate social benefit projects at least as quickly as people use them to accelerate misinformation and accelerate profit making. My worst case scenario, actually, and I really worry about this precisely because of all the negative media about AI, is that the folks in the world who do have deep conscience and consideration and thought for the world are going to be too worried about these tools to use them. And then we're going to get outmatched a million to one instead of a thousand to one. Because if you think of AI as having a multiplier effect for every person in the sector, we want that multiplier effect in the NGO sector, not just the for-profit sector. If Alexandra Samuel is correct that the nonprofit sector needs to embrace AI for social good to counterbalance the potential harm AI may do in society. As Charles Buchanan has learned with his canceled AI project, Nonprofits have to realize that developing useful and reliable data will take a long time. We need to understand, nonprofits need to understand, the reason why it's not going to happen that quickly is that the data is not there to support it. AI feeds on data. 
And right now, there's no consistency in the data that's collected. So if I were to find data from numerous agencies, there would be misalignment. So fortunately for the sector, the data isn't clean enough for rapid AI growth in some areas. So for example, comparing different agencies around their outputs or their impact or their outcomes, it's rarely consistent because funders do not require common measures. To add to the problems, Nonprofits and charities have an additional concern about sharing data with AI that other organizations don't have to worry about. In many cases, nonprofits collect very sensitive and confidential data about clients, funders, and donors. Oh, absolutely. On the data side, in the tech community, there are some private companies that are fortunate enough that they actually take the AI engines and they segregate, they keep it behind their corporate firewall. So they use the engines to do data manipulations, but they do not share their data back into the public domain. So the publicly available engines that you use will not have their data factored into it. Nonprofits are probably not that sophisticated. So for example, you say, I'm going to craft a job description and you say, well, tell me about your company so we could best suit you. You've now added to the pool of data all kinds of information about your organization and probably about the position and said, well, so if we're to really do it properly, tell us about your salary ranges. So yes, there's a risk of oversharing data in the interest of getting something back. Because if I don't share any information with the system, it's going to provide me fairly rough and fairly crude assistance. So the more it knows about me, <laughs> the better it can help me. The more it knows about me, comes with a potential downside. It comes with a downside around how secure is this? What happens if whoever's providing that application gets breached in some way? It's now got all kinds of things. And if we're irresponsibly or unknowingly trying to use these things to assist in service delivery, for example, we could be exposing donor information. We could be putting private information there. So there is a risk around the use of private information and just even proprietary information about the organization, things that you would not know about. And then there's the question of ownership of material produced by AI and the source of that material. Ultimately, a lot of the biggest ethical conundrums really come down to, you know, things like, you know, every writer's organization in the world is making an issue of the fact that these AI platforms have built themselves by vacuuming up every bit of written word on the internet without asking. You know, in theory, you might see a phrase of yours from something you wrote recycled in somebody else's work without them even realizing that's where it came from. And that's a pretty unlikely scenario, but just on a much more basic level, the machines are driven by what they have stolen from us. And that is not an issue that the manager of the local food bank is going to be able to take on. But what is the impact of AI on a workforce? Especially in the nonprofit sector, where budgets are often squeezed, workloads are heavy, and time is always tight. The potential gains that AI offers for just being able to scale productivity of human resources is hard to easily dismiss, and even harder not to take advantage of. It can help customize donor communications at scale. And I'm not talking about the, you know, 
insert Dear Beth, <laughs> I'm really talking about the whole content of the email to really tailor it to what the donor's interests are and what they're excited about. And I'm not talking about big donors. I'm talking about like maybe those $100 donors, those thousands, hopefully, of, of donors that may receive an email communication for you. AI has the ability to really customize that at scale. I mean, that would take hours and hours and hours for you know, a one-person development office <laughs> to do, right? To think about customizing a thousand emails out to donors. But AI tools can do that. In fact, the Rainforest Action Network was able to use a tool like this that analyzed donor responses to different types of content and then generate new content that was of specific interest to the donor. And this helped increase their conversion rate by 600%. And that's not a typo. And yet, despite the potential upside... The research shows that people are worried about the impact of AI on their employment. A PWC survey of 52,000 people in 44 countries finds that almost a third believe AI will make their jobs redundant in the next three years. In its recent Future of Jobs report, the World Economic Forum estimated that AI will replace some 85 million jobs by 2025. The same report, however, concluded that some 97 million new jobs would be created in the same time frame due to AI. Alexandra Samuel says worries about AI-driven job losses are well-founded. But nonprofit professionals have to understand and accept that the train has left the station. I do think people have a very legitimate concern about the impact on our employment, which is a good thing to worry about. But there's certainly going to be changes in who has jobs. At a very individual level, anyone who is scared about how AI is going to take their job needs to be reminded they're far more likely to lose their job to somebody who is already using AI. That's the real threat. The real threat is not that you lose your job to an AI. The real threat is you lose your job to somebody who knows how to use AI. So the best thing you can do for your own employment, for the competitiveness of your organization, the relevance of your organization, is to use it. Dan Kershaw agrees, but believes that every nonprofit organization has the ability to chart its own course in the AI adoption journey. If you follow the business press, there is a large segment of the business world, which will use AI to displace workers. That is a risk, but like any tool, how an organization decides to use it will determine what the outcome is. At Furniture Bank, I'm looking to make sure that everybody's jobs are more empowering, are more interesting, are less dreary, can have a bigger impact, spend less time doing things that don't need to take that much time anymore. I'm going back to the do long division or use a calculator. I prefer calculators. Of course, the digital world has become ever more sophisticated and complicated since the early days of calculators, leaving many nonprofits with what Charles Buchanan calls a technology deficit. They may not have equipment that could process or participate in that way, so that's one. Training would be the other, not having the skills. And there aren't very many nonprofit organizations that have people with extra time on their hands. So finding the time to learn these technologies. And the biggest barrier is the fact that the technology is changing so rapidly. And right now there's so many tools. There are a lot of AI things coming at people. So what do you standardize on and how do you decide what's appropriate and what's accessible for your team? And then the other issue is turnover. 
and the use of volunteers and flexible workforces. So we, there's not a lot of time for people to actually go and get current with tools before the tools move on. But the encouraging thing about that is that the people who are making these tools, they know that mass adoption requires that the interface or the accessibility be very straightforward. So people will not need to have to take a course on how to ask the right questions so you could get an AI response. Brendan Howe says regardless of their technology deficit, nonprofits have no choice but to figure out how to integrate AI into their operations and fast or face the consequences. When I talk to people, I say, if you decide not to do anything today, you're going to wake up two years from now and you're going to be really upset because you're going to be so far behind. You're going to be looking at other nonprofits and you're going to see how they're leveraging AI and data to do amazing things for their clients and for their organizations and support their staff. You're going to see that people in your organization want to go work at those places because they better support their team. And they've given them this fantastic technology so that they can achieve the mission and they don't have to do all that drudgery work. According to Brendan Howe, those organizations who are using AI say it not only frees up their workforce from mundane tasks, but also unlocks greater potential and impact. Nonprofits have a huge opportunity to really embrace AI and do fantastic things with it. So if you think of any manual repetitive process that you do in your organization, there's a good chance that that can be done through artificial intelligence. And the way people work right now in nonprofits is going to go through a revolution. It's going to change dramatically. Especially in saving time, says Beth Cantor, who's written about how AI offers nonprofits the gift of time and helps cure the crisis of burnout and mental health challenges among overworked staff, so long as nonprofit leaders use it wisely. So in our book, we talk a lot and we really believe strongly that AI can provide this gift to nonprofits and we call it the dividend of time. Okay, this save time. And I think it can solve a lot of the problems around burnout and labor shortages, among other problems, maybe like donor retention rates, if we are able to repurpose that time. But I want to caution nonprofits not to think about using that dividend of time to let's just do more of this work, but faster. Really, we want to use it to reinvent the next chapter of organizational life. And that's not just a technology problem. It's a leadership problem and an organizational culture problem. That's why Mina Das is working on developing a charter for the ethical use of AI for nonprofits. A project that has kept Mina Das and her like-minded technology partners working long hours to develop guidelines to help nonprofits navigate the inevitable ethical challenges and pitfalls that AI brings. She understands that speed is of the essence, especially after witnessing a hundred million people sign up for ChatGPT almost immediately after its launch. The rate of pickup in the market was really fast. This is the part that scares me. All of us use AI. Few of us understand and care enough to talk about it. And very few understand the other parts of it. It's just like teeny portion. But we are all users of this technology. And we want to use it more in our work. 
this is the reason that gap between from from all of us to very few at the bottom that gap we need that space to talk about the ethical concerns because if we don't do that the risk is we are going to perpetuate some of the harms that has been happening in the past these systems ai it's not magic someone like you and me sat some day and decided okay design some code and then coded it and polished it and sent it out and shipped it into the world saying hey here is a perfect algorithm for you and use it it's upon us to understand how are we using it why are we using it what's the consequence of using it and who gets missed when we start using it who is getting affected and, and impacted by it we need to ask those kind of questions and this framework is that foundation to give us some of that knowledge so that we can start asking those questions without being intimidated this is what we want to change in the industry to be comfortable to challenge systems regardless of where these algorithms are coming from to ask give me the transparency because i don't trust it that's the kind of knowledge we need in our sector in our industry and the point of that charter is to offer that kind of foundational layer now we fully understand as designing the charter it's going to be messy and it's going to be imperfect but it's going to be a work that evolves and that's what the charter is as of now it has eight or 10 standard points about how to use ai responsibly and if the listeners who are right now here listening i would say search for fundraising.ai that's the name of the group the volunteering all volunteering group who are figuring out this charter and figuring out what are the risks to our sector for this work that's what this is all about dan kershaw is also deeply concerned about the need to use ai responsibly and ethically it's why kershaw and his team have produced an ai manifesto governing how ai is being used at the furniture bank why a manifesto i like manifestos because nobody likes policies how many people have read their privacy policy no A manifesto is also the culture and the why. Why are we using AI? So it's blending the two and we're using it really as a touchstone because when you really start playing with AI, trying out the tools, seeing the capabilities, you start discovering opportunities given the pace at which we're seeing the tools that we currently use in bed AI. We felt it was important to put a stake in the ground that fit who we were as furniture bank, how we were operating. putting our clients and our customers first to make sure that when the question was there how are you using it it's clear doesn't mean it's not going to change this is always going to be evolving but we also use it internally that when we come up with something everybody can look at it and like here's an idea how does it match up with our manifesto what extra step might we need to do and things like that we didn't invent it out of the ether we borrowed all the good ideas from the UK and the United States there are no laws there is no legal framework or construct here in Canada at some point there will be but for now we're more or less following what the rest of the world is recommending there's lots of great organizations in the US that are very focused on AI you don't need to think you're going into this space alone there's actually an immense ecosystem to support this but right now it's a communication tool for the donors and supporters of furniture bank that want to understand how we're using it beyond the annual campaign and also for our staff in that we see a lot of opportunities to expand the range of ways in which we do the work that we do 
in a way we would never be able to afford, be it dollars or skill set, doing it the traditional way. So it's taking some of the principles around a privacy or an accessibility or a donation policy that we all would have and just making it visible that if somebody has that question, they can get those answers. The AI world is changing quickly. New products are coming to market rapidly. Microsoft has just announced its next step in AI integration. Copilot. We built some AIs you can interact with. Google now getting into the world of AI chatbots. Some are expensive, others cost far less, and some are free. Although the experts warn it's important to learn what proprietary data you're giving up in exchange by using them. If you're using ChatGPT and OpenAI, as ChatGPT learns more about your organization, more about your business, there's been some concerns about How's that going to be shared? How's that going to be shared with the world? But Brendan Howe says that shouldn't stop organizations from using AI. But we have to be kind of cognizant of this, and it comes back to me knowing where your data is going to be, where it is, how it's going to be used, what the policies are, what's the privacy policy, what are you expected to have as an organization? And what happens if there's a breach? Dan Kershaw of the Furniture Bank points out that different forms of AI are probably already in your office and demand attention. I think it's really important for all your listeners. At this very moment, almost every digital tool that every SPO uses, Microsoft, Salesforce, Canva, HubSpot, Razor's Edge, on and on and on, they all have or are about to have embedded AI capabilities. So this is not a topic you get to skip or avoid or put to the side. This is changing underneath every organization's feet right this moment. Alexandra Samuel agrees. From a practical sense, simply not embracing AI is not an option for nonprofits. There's all kinds of biases that are coded into the AIs at this point. There have been a lot of many, many different projects now that have shown a lot of racism and facial recognition kinds of things and weird stuff that'll pop up when people are generating text because some racist thing is built in there. And so, you know, you really want to think carefully about whether the tools you are using are going to do justice to the communities you're serving in every sense. And the problem is that I'm not sure that not using them is really a realistic option. To add to that wealth of wisdom, we asked our guests for their final pieces of advice about how nonprofits can engage with AI in smart and ethical ways right now to increase productivity and amplify impact. Here are their insights and suggestions. AI is a tool, it's a technology, and it's here and it's going to be here inevitably more and more going forward around us in our work. Don't be scared of that technology. It's here to support us, built by us, people like us, for us. So it's here for a reason. So don't be scared to try different flavors of AI whenever you get a chance, whether it's trying a little bit of ChatGPT or whether it's trying out a new tech tool or a new app, whichever form it is. And the second point would be to make space then to talk what you did with people around you. 
See, we need two layers of learning always with AI. One is the individual level, where we are getting comfortable in engaging with these systems. The second layer is where we are making people around us to be comfortable in engaging with these systems. We need a symbiotic relationship with that technology, but not just very siloed one person relationship. We want something where me and my team members are comfortable to do that kind of conversation about this technology. I really like to look at it as a collaboration where it can do things you can't do. You can do things it can't do. The more feedback you give it, the better it's going to get. I mean, I find it really helpful to think of these AIs as like a junior colleague who is like the smartest junior colleague you've ever hired. And they really, really want to help. Like they genuinely want to help. They're not slackers. They really care about getting it right. And unlike any eager to please junior person I've ever worked with, they have zero ego and don't get insulted or offended or upset if you give them difficult feedback. Probably the best piece of advice that I could give any nonprofit leader is have a mindset that AI is going to be your co-pilot. So for your staff, for your organization, AI will be your co-pilot, it will not be your autopilot. So if it's your autopilot, it might go off and do some stuff that you don't want it to do. If it's your co-pilot and it's supporting your team, it's doing the first draft of your Word documents or proposals, it's doing the first draft of your Excel or your PowerPoint presentations or the first draft of your emails for you. It's saving a bunch of time, but a member of your team is looking at that and making sure, is that appropriate? Are we using the data correctly? Are we speaking to the donor in a respectful way? And the more you have that mentality that this AI stuff, when used the best, it helps our teams go from a week of work down to a couple hours of work for a task. But it doesn't replace our teams. It sits next to them and flying the plane. AI knows your data really well but humans only know humans really well. And we really have to think about staying human-centered at all costs, putting humans first, humans always being in charge of the technology, making sure that there's no harm done to the humans on the other end of the technology, whether that's your staff or whether that's donors or the people using your programs and services. The other thing that it's also really important to keep in mind when we're thinking about being human-centered is as more tasks become automated in the workplace, it's really important that we nurture and develop and support and provide training in emotional intelligence. Human-centered skills around empathy and caring for others and thoughtful communication and problem formation, right? As we adopt ChatGPT and we're able to generate text, it can't do problem formation. It can't frame things really well and it can't figure out what the problem is. And that's a human-based skill that we're, again, going to need to nurture. So that whole idea around human-centeredness is the big takeaway. I think that a worthwhile question for organizations to also examine is, hey, you know, how are we using technology in general that really reflect the values of our organization in a meaningful way? I like to use the Olympic motto, faster, higher, stronger, for kind of guiding how people think about technology. So as folks are thinking about how AI will be used in the future or you know, whatever technology, as it applies to nonprofits, I think that when there's opportunities to help things go faster or more efficiently, you know, that's where you know we'll see AI continue to be used to raise higher revenues uh, for organizations. And lastly, around 
stronger around building stronger relationships. And that last part, I think, is is really important to continue exploring because going back to the point about, you know, not using AI for its own sake, but, you know, how can we use AI to really build the human relationship where, you know, we're, we're not going to replace a coffee meeting with, you know, sending an AI bot necessarily, or, you know, Maybe there's going to be an experiment in which people, you know, do try that, but that's not necessarily something where I see the technology going. How do we use it to build on those relationships that we have that help support organizations? In the context of, say, Star Wars, you know, there's a kind of light side and dark side kind of thing. And at the end of the day, using technology can be like using the force. For those nonprofits who take the leap into the light and embrace AI for the betterment of the causes and communities they serve, may the force be with you. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their valuable insights on AI and the nonprofit sector. Be sure to visit our website for more information on the resources mentioned in this episode and for show notes on this and other topics. If you'd like to hear more fascinating insights on AI, please visit our website, charityvillage.com, where you'll find the complete video interviews with our guests from this episode. Charity Village is proud to be the Canadian source for nonprofit news, employment services, crowdfunding, e-learning, HR resources and tools, and so much more. Visit us today at charityvillage.com. On the next Charity Village Connects podcast... The most recent giving report by Canada Helps begins with a stark headline. It's time for change. The report goes on to outline alarming challenges facing the nonprofit sector, including unprecedented demand for services, falling donations, staff burnout, and rising inflation. We'll talk to Canada Helps about why the organization decided this year's report needed to ensure the gravity of the current situation facing nonprofits is understood and acted upon. We'll also speak with experts from across the sector as to how these concerning issues need to be addressed. The top challenges facing nonprofits and charities, next time on Charity Village Connects. I'm Mary Barrell. Thanks for listening.